to the Sports Plus show with Baker, Big D, and Joe. And it's 2021. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. Morning. Uh, everybody got clear-headed? Yeah, as, 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 as much as, as can much be possible. expected <laughs> at this time in the morning, sure. <laughs> yeah, um, so we've had uh, sort of three of us have kind of a mixed um, a holiday season. Uh, uh, Joe's out in Oregon, and uh, you'll have to tell us what you did, but um, Matt had the traditional two kids and 10,000 presents, and I had sort of the in-between of uh, my my now uh, 30-year-old uh, wife, uh, daughter, and her husband uh, visiting and, and sort of um, becoming, we became a pod together. So it was so delightful in this lonely, lonely time. Um, Joe, were you able to uh, have any human contact? Nope, nothing Nothing with nobody on, on either holiday. New Year's was even more boring than Christmas. Um, <laughs> well, sorry, well, sorry. I, you know. No, 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 it's fine. I'm, like I said, uh, last week, I'm used to sort of, you know, being by myself on the holidays, although usually I, you know, I can at least get with a couple of friends and that was colossally impossible this year. Uh, we yeah. did, I was just telling Matt before he came on, we did have another um, protest slash riot incident here in Portland, a couple hundred people. And, you know, it kind of seemed to be along the lines of what happened in July, the throwing Molotov cocktails at the federal buildings and, you know, no real actual damage done, but, the news well, so was it was it a riot I, the the news likes to call it a riot and i know i know but what is a riot anyway so you know I, no it, it, it was a it was a demonstration i believe and a, that turned a little violent well the thing is it's not like you know it's not like we're having demonstrations and marches every night i mean it's been pretty quiet protest wise since the election so i don't know I don't know what the genesis of it was, whether it was a, huh. a march or a protest or whether it was just a, a hundred people hanging out in the park that, you know, the cops tried to come break it up. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to do a little more research on what exactly happened, but it, well, but it, it does, if it was a hundred people all together, that's dumb. You mean if a hundred people were gathering? Yeah, no, I, yes, I, yeah. I, I, I agree. And I don't know, again, I don't know if it, it was a, you know, if it was along the lines of the protests that were happening, you know, over the spring and summer, people were pretty good about being masked up and covered. But this isn't, you know, like I said, they haven't been ongoing and there really hasn't been anything for a couple of months. So I'm, I'm curious as to who these people were and what exactly their first motivation for being out in the streets were was but. well uh, so this has been you know i've been i, dr I drove down to my um uh son and four grandchildren in rhode island <clears throat> and we had a socially distanced outdoor masked blast and uh <clears throat> and so anyway a lot of people feel that 2020 was the worst year ever and yes, it's hard to believe a year that would be worse, but actually I can give you two. Um, one was 1968 when I was uh, not even 20 years old, 19. And that year was just horrendous in many, many, many ways. Um, if you want to read about it, please go right ahead. I won't 
play all the best hits. But the other one that was really, really uh, probably the worst of all was 536. And uh, basically, the sun disappeared for a year and a half. <laughs> and that, led... were, you, were you in high school back then? That... <laughs> no, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, science, which is we can now talk again. It's not a forbidden word to say science. Um, science has, had this remarkable breakthrough where they can do these kind of um, pull out these cores of ice and really locate when it is and, and then what the atmosphere was and get an incredible amount of information. So 536 began like uh, uh, actually several hundred years of the bubonic plague. The sun was visible, uh, invisible, or looked like the moon for about a year and a half. Famine, because all the crops were ruined. So 2020 <laughs> was maybe only the third worst year. <laughs> <all> that <laughs> and I, I don't know, I, you know, and I've heard, had a lot, a lot of friends talk about what the year was like for them personally, you know, maybe just trying to find some light in a, in a crappy year, but is there anything for, for you two guys that stands out as a personal highlight? You know, it's interesting. My wife and I were talking about that, um, on New Year's Eve about, you know, what was the year like? And sure, it was tough. And, and I don't, I, I kind of, I didn't have any close relative um, get sick with coronavirus, you know, so it, it, it's hard to downplay it. There were, there were a lot of people who had a lot of significant loss in their families. Um, but for me, like, I, I did kind of enjoy, in hindsight, it was stressful, but it was kind of interesting being home more with my kids and, and you know, teaching them. I, I showed them YouTube um, live animal cams. And, you know, and, and when, when this started in March, every day we were in, like, a different place in Africa or a bird feeder, you know, and so that was kind of cool, really bringing my kids who were young. So we didn't want to do technology TV on all day. It had to be, you know, something meaningful that they were doing. They were both in preschool last year. So it wasn't like they had class to get to. It was just Jill and I had to teach our classes. So it was nice to, you know, sit back and, and all right, boys, we're going to go on a nature hike and we're going to try to find different pine cones. You know, we had to get creative and, and find things to do with our kids because, a lot of times as parents, like the weekends, it's, you know, you're getting your kids together with mm -hmm. other kids and, and friends and you're going to different parks and playgrounds and we're, let's take the kids bowling, let's take the kids to, you know, this indoor playground spot, whatever. And, and, and that wasn't there. So we really had to, we taught my kids, both my kids at four and five, how to ride a bike, uh, huh. you know? And so looking back on, it was stressful last school year, learning how to teach remotely and, and trying to balance two kids. But that really was in hindsight, a highlight for me, being able to teach my kids how to dribble a basketball, ride a bike, nature hikes, and, and get back to the simple things together as just the family. It, it wasn't all that bad. No, well, it was, it was that bad, yeah. <laughs> but it was, but, but it was, uh, but you're absolutely right, Matt, you nailed it. It's like, and there was, you know, there was a lot of family connection. There was a lot, especially, I want to say, and I have no, there's no empirical information uh, 
evidence for this, but I have to believe that a lot of men and some women who, you know, work professionally and are really busy and really involved in their job, all of a sudden found out sort of, hey, my kids are kind of cool. And hey, <laughs> it's kind of fun being a parent and then hanging around with them. And the, you know, and I really think that was it. If you think back, and I think all three, we all three remember 9-11 and the feeling that day was, where's my family? You know, where is my family? That's the first thing you wanted to find out was, is my family okay? That type of thing. And, and so that's, just, I agree, Matt, that's what came through this. Um, it wasn't fun and it was brutal, but being together with family is not bad. I was sort of grateful to be alone, honestly, through all that. I, I've well, heard lots you of know, people, I am sort of, I enjoy being alone too. I mean, so it just I, the, I get that the thought of being, and this may be the wrong word, but being trapped in a, in a house with the same, in your case, Matt, three people. Trapped you know, is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does. I mean, it does have to wear on you after a little while. Cause you're not used to that. Well, quite that there's much this together. thing called love, Joe. There's well, this thing called love. Well, there's, this thing, sort of... there's this other thing called forced togetherness. And this is something I, I noticed <laughs> when I had the restaurant on Cape Cod, because we'd see a lot of families that weren't used to spending so much time in close quarters together. And after four days in that little vacation house, they would, we'd see them walking down the street and they'd all be the, the mother be yelling at the father, the father be yelling at the kids, the kids are yelling at the dog. And after a while, a little too much togetherness got to be a point of conflict. So I, I empathize with anyone who is, you know, whether your house is full of love, like Matt's, there's gotta be moments where you just, I just, I just want to be alone. I just want these people out of here. Going, oh, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, believe me, I'm not trying to paint uh, yep. an unrealistic picture. My house was not all hearts and smiles. There were a few times where either I was jumping through a window or I was about to, uh, you know, it, it, living through it, it was tough. It was stressful. And, and, and that's sort of what forced us. It was either, all right, I'm either going to lose it or let's let's go for a walk and let's try to make yeah. it you know and, and i i do think that is part of you know going off on a little tangent you know some of the negatives to all of the connectivity to social media we we can in times we can lose ourselves in our phones and, and i've even caught myself as as a dad like if the boys are, are busy doing something and i'm going to sit on the couch and I'm on my phone, it's like, whoa, a half hour is gone, you know, and you kind of ignore your, your responsibilities a little bit. Um, but it, it wasn't all good. It, in hindsight, you can look back on it and just see the silver lining, I guess. Look, like I said, I am fortunate enough, knock on wood, um, where no, no close relatives have gotten sick um, with the coronavirus. So I can look back on it and say we're we're here now in 2021, healthy, looking to move forward, and uh, you know there were, there were some positives gained during this all this for us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think probably it sounds like in about equal measure. I mean, I had enough enough moments where I was, you know, I just wish I wish I could just have a couple people over right now, or I wish I could just go sit in a bar or sit in a restaurant right now. So you know. No, no one came through 2020 unscathed mentally. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny, you know, we talked about last week about how um, optimistic and enthusiastic we were about getting vaccinated so we could maybe end all this. And it seems like that's turned out to be a big disaster too. I saw 
yesterday that they had expected 20 million people to be vaccinated by year's end and we got two and a half million. So yeah, maybe three, but you know what, that, that may well speed up, but that is because of the lack of federal structure, federal, there should have been federal planning six months ago for how to, you know, to give states a, a specified order to do things, you know, allow them the freedom to adjust it for their state. But to set set up a, a, a framework instead of just leaving the states to themselves, because this is a huge logistics problem. This is what, when we were talking last week about Jose Andreas's idea of using stadiums, that's exactly what should be. You know, the baseball stadium and the basketball arena should be full of stations with people being vaccinated. While, while I am normally right along with you to criticize the federal government, especially the one we had the last four years, I think this is really on the states because you can't, you can't expect the federal government no, to manage. No, 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 no. The federal, federal government sets up a, a framework. No, but they, they do the distribution, but you can't, you can't expect the federal government to coordinate the actual dissemination of the vaccine in all 50 states. It's just, um, it's, it's just impossible. Every state's got their own network. Yeah, yeah, the problem, yeah, yeah. The problem but, I'm having here in Oregon is federal I, government, I, I can't even- Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The federal government can give money to the states. Right now, the states are financially strapped. Well, That's the big thing the federal government can I, do. I don't think the problem is, is financial. I think the problem is organizational. It, as of right now, I can't even find out where I'm going to eventually get my vaccine. If I go through my primary care doctor, or if I go to go directly to the hospital, or if I can get it at CVS or Walgreens, it's, there's no information. There's no structure beyond a timeline. I don't even know in, and I, I don't know if it's any different in Massachusetts, but I guess you guys, you'll get it through your employer. But for the rest of us in the general population, see, like Matt, you're shaking your head. You don't even know. I have no idea. And, and I kind of, hey, here we go. I'm kind of with Joe too a little bit. I, I think it, it, it's up to the states and the locals to, to coordinate how this goes. I mean, I'll say, so my mom, she works in a, um, a rehab facility um, and they do have a COVID floor. She's um, uh, down on the, on the first floor without any COVID contact. So she was within her hospital. She was a, a tier two employee, still on the, the this first round because it, it they do have COVID patients in this hospital. Um, but she ended up getting it about three weeks earlier than scheduled because she so she got it last week, um, and she was just like, yeah, I was I was right place, right time. She was walking by and they actually had extras and nobody to give it to. And so they, they said, Hey, you know, do you want your vaccine now? And so she said, yes, you know, and I kind of found that as odd. Like they had extra, like yeah. what, why, how and why would you have extra or not a doctor? Well, that's, or that's not that mysterious. That's the, um, the vials are filled uh so that there's a little bit extra and so that's what they're talking about right i did see that the vials that were supposed to have five doses they're getting six to seven out of them but yeah. there's there's other just sort of allocation weirdnesses that are happening like there was a a facility in texas that got a thousand vaccines for their staff and only two actually took it there are other places where they got 
you know, a third of what they needed or, or a 10th of what they were promised. It does seem like, yeah, no, there's been a lot of problems, but I, you know, like I have to just, you know, I, I do feel like I'm a minority of, of this, of this group of three, but this is what the federal government, this is our country. The federal government comes up with a plan on how to administer the vaccine. And when it doesn't, this is what we get. So, you know, you guys, you're right. It is the state, but the federal government, just like think about education or anything else. You know, when there's an emergency, the federal government sets up the framework. But I know I'm going to lose this argument with you, so I'm not persisting. Well, the federal government did their part. They... No, they did not. They developed. They had. They prompted this vaccine to get developed. Yeah, that's part. That's part of it. So, but all these people sitting around, all these doctors know that. Okay, so developing it, it's it was a remarkable achievement. Absolutely, Um, having a lot to do with the SARS with messenger RNA. You know that there was a framework already in thing. Brilliant warp speed was brilliant. but part the second part of it is how are we going to get it efficiently out? But I, that's so, where. The, but what I'm that's saying where the federal government draws, is, draws is I feel like they're they're maybe lagging a little bit behind where they'd like to be with distributing these vaccines. But the problem now is not it's not it's, it's getting the vaccines in the arms of people, and that's up to states and localities and individual hospitals. And again, you can't you can't rely on the federal government to manage that stuff on that micro a level in all 50 states. It's just, that's why these other health organizations exist. That's why we have, you know, mass health and OHP and all these other, you know, these other organizations that are supposed to handle these things. But um, I, I, I hope, I hope you guys get yours soon. I, I hope they present them in a way that, that you don't miss it. I mean, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of just missing my opportunity out here. So. Who knows? No, pharmacies are going to have them soon. Fingers crossed. The Moderna. Pharmacies are going to have the Moderna. So, All right, so what's happening in the sports world? Okay. Joe, you wanted to touch upon last week or something? Um, yeah, well, just a, just something quick that we, we were talking about the stimulus and the, the blocking of the stimulus. And the one, the one point Daryl made was that $600 is better than nothing. And, you know, Matt and I were kind of – and it's just sort of a pittance. And honestly, if you're, if you're, fi- if you've been financially challenged by this pandemic in any way, if you're, you know, you guys, your income is is pretty safe. But if you're, you know, eighty percent of the rest of us, you're in m- much bigger than a six hundred dollar hole right now. And the six hundred dollars, yeah, it's marginally helpful, but not terribly effective against the mountain of of debt that most people have have accrued in the last nine months and the other thing you know we talked about whether this was whether this was a colossal failure for trump if had had he not signed that bill on sunday night i would have been in total agreement with the both of you that this is a disaster and this is just him trying to sow chaos but i'm relieved that he did did sign it on sunday and now you know the blame goes back to the Republican Congress, the Rep- essentially the Republicans in the Senate, Senate, who are the only ones who stood in the way of that six hundred dollars being two thousand dollars, which is a is a huge difference. I mean that that's some real relief for a lot of people. And the other thing I would like to throw in there is that if Trump had pushed for a two thousand dollar relief package. <laughs> <laughs> 
on November 1st and that had gone through, he would have won the election by 10 points. So let's, let's, let's thank our lucky stars that he did what he did when he did it and not two months earlier. Yeah. The only really thing I have to say about it, and then we can move on. I, I, you know, whether you're left or right, Republican or Democrat, I, the, the career politicians, we really need term limits. And, and, you know, right now what the Republican Senate is doing is, is, you know, is the same thing that I think the Democrats in Congress did at the beginning, you know, trying to attach some the, the Green New Deal to stuff. I just, in a, right now, the emergency is taking care of the American people. And, and you know, I, I, I understand that politics, it's how politics work. And I just, but I just think there's too much hatred in DC on both sides of each other. And, and there doesn't seem to be any, desire to work with the other side of the aisle. It's, you know, now McConnell's putting in, you know, he wants his, I think, what do you have? Two things, the um, uh, election investigation, and there was some other spending stuff he wanted attached to money and the Democrats saying no, you know, and it's just, they can't get out of their own way to, to do things. And, and it's, it's just frustrating for me, you know, and you're, and I, I, I agree. I think McConnell's been as bad for the country as Trump has for the last four years, just in his support. Of but, but I have to, like, you know, as the minority member of this uh, group, I have to say that it, what you just gave, Matt, were false equivalencies. The, the um, Green New Deal was never a bill. It's an idea, and it's a great idea. But the thing is, and, and the fact that, that um, there's dissension or, or a disagreement on, on Congress is absolutely true, but it is 90% McConnell, oh, yeah. 90% yeah. Republicans. It is not, believe me, I mean, Biden is, he will sit down and talk. He was friends with McConnell. So it's not, when you say it's on both sides, it is not on both sides, but that's just my opinion. And why can't they get stuff done? I, I, I don't, because I because McConnell is the gatekeeper, he yeah. stops anything. So those two things he put on the two thousand dollar checks were what's known as poison pills. You know, there was no way that those he knew that. I agree with you. I, I I I agree. So yeah. that's but it's all on McConnell. It is not the Democrats did not do. They had no power and. And unfortunately, if they lose the two, one or two of the Georgia seats, the same thing will happen that happened in Obama, which is nothing. Well, f um, fingers crossed, because the the Republicans are doing everything they can to lose those seats. I mean, from right, but Republic, I think unfortunately that they're going to win one or two of them because Georgia's a very Republican state, well, and so even though the Dems are out voting early, the you know I I would not feel very confident well, there. The thing is, and it's, it's just too bad. So it's. It's I you know again it is it's a false equivalency to say that the mistakes on both the issues on both sides I, I, right it, now I, well, it's weighed heavily on one side uh, I disagree as somebody who I don't I, I consider myself the I'm not yay Republican I'm not yay Democrat I, I don't think it's their their job is to figure out ways to work together and they just don't that's how I see it they just don't work together and and I, I think it it it's it doesn't do any good to say well it's all republicans no like no, no but listen Matt, on one, Matt, one one person owns the basketball 
So when he takes the basketball, you know, the Dems may want to play, may want to play with the Republicans, but they, the basketball is gone. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I, I, I know what you're talking about sort of the, in a general sense and over the last 20 years or 40 years, but specifically to to this, you know, COVID relief thing, this is all – this is all Mitch McConnell, you know, all Mitch McConnell. Daryl, I want to, I want to, uh, you, uh, you're usually the the um, optimistic one. I want to put some hope in your heart for Georgia. The state voted for Biden, and it really does seem like by twelve thousand votes out of man, five million. But, it but does, you're right. It does, no, I mean, I'm and, well, I'm hopeful, but I'm realistic. Well, it seems like too the the Republicans, like I said, they're doing everything they can to lose those two seats, and they're not really. You know, it doesn't seem like there's any unified support for those two candidates. So I'm, I'm really curious. I, this will be the most closely watched Georgia state, you know, Georgia Senate election in history. It'll be, be very interesting. It's gonna be an interesting week or so with the, um, the couple of the handful of Congress people threatening to, you know, <sighs> yeah. Fortunately, it's, it's a handful. And, and again, you know, even Lindsey Graham came out and said, look, this is not. This is not something that's going to succeed. This is not the way democracy works. You know, we're not behind this. So it's it's just the couple of these people and, you know, the the fringy ones at that. So we'll see. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe we're not out of the out of the woods for um, with regards to, um, you know, civil war just yet. We'll see what happens on Tuesday. All right. Yeah. Keep your eyes on Josh Hawley. Yeah. Let's talk about some things that made some headlines this week. Yeah, so the the honeymoon of Matt and I agreeing on things is clearly <laughs> over. Um, Matt, you wanna you wanna talk about one one well, or the well, here's here's well, but Matt Matt before before you do, I want to just say it's unbelievable that the Giants still have a chance to make the playoffs on the last week. It is just unbelievable. I love it. I love it. Here's yeah. the, my dream scenario: is the Giants win and Washington football team wins so Washington can get in the playoffs um the Giants are still a bad team um but there there's progress they're trending in the right direction but uh they at this point now let's let's get a good draft pick and uh let's move on let's continue to learn to win but yeah you're right Daryl what a what an awful awful division and and hey you know what would be would be fun for me is if the season ends and the Patriots and the Giants have the same record that would be uh <laughs> That would, would be, be great. Nice. The, the Patriots are in horrible shape. They are. You know? shape. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's, let me give a little backstory as to some of the, the headlines from this week. And then I have two kind of questions for you guys that I think might carry the rest of the show. So the Houston Texans lost again and JJ Watt, who's their all pro, um, uh, you know, leader on and off the field. I think you could probably say Deshaun Watson is is their quarterback. He's a leader too. But JJ Watt is is their um, he's he's their leader off the field. He's sensational. Um, he he in his press conference kind of went off on some team. He didn't name anybody, but he just basically said, "Look, yeah, our season's over, but." if you're not going to go out there and give effort, if you're not going to spend time in the weight room, if you're not going to spend time in, in um, meetings and studying film, he goes, and there's the door. He said, we owe it to our fans. We owe it to ourselves. Um, and, and, and if you're not willing to give everything you can, it doesn't matter if, if we're out of the playoffs, if you're not willing to give everything you can um, for the city of Houston, he goes, there's the door. 
Um, so that was his big comment. And then Booger McFarland, who was, um, he was a standout collegiate player at LSU. He played for the Bucks. He was a defensive lineman. He, he was, I don't, I don't know if he made a pro bowl or not. He's not hall of fame level defensive lineman. Is he still an active player? No, no, no he's, he's an retired and, and he works for ESPN now. He's also an adult who calls himself Booger. So let's let's make sure we <laughs> that keep everything in context here. I, I have no idea how and when that nickname started, but I, it, I as long as I've ever heard his name, it's always. Been uh, you know, I didn't. I never really thought about that. But that really is. I, I, how would you like to be called Booger? It's like what a terrible name. So <laughs> you know? he was. On uh, I, I think it was Monday night or Tuesday, one of the one of his shows that he's on was talking about Dwayne Haskins uh, and, and referring to Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins was um, the Washington football team's quarterback, the first round draft pick two years ago. Um, and he's Dwayne Haskins has had a little bit of trouble making it in the NFL. Basically. Uh, he was filmed, pictured, caught at a strip club after a football game without a mask on. Their head coach is going through cancer treatments. And so there was a lot of issues with that, uh, that go beyond just the fact that you were out at a strip club without a mask on after you played a football game. Um, he was stripped of his captaincy Dwayne Haskins was, and then... Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Um, and, then, and then he played the following week. They lost. He played horribly. Washington released him. And so in, in commenting on all of that around Dwayne Haskins, Booger McFarland made these controversial remarks, basically saying young players, and he said mostly African-American. Um, he did state, you know, and I'm saying that because 70% of the league is African-American. So he's just making a general statement. Young players come into the league and they ask, how can I improve my brand? How do I improve my Instagram? How do I improve my TikTok following? Um, and, and really just kind of went off on young players saying they're more worried about themselves than they are the team and, and, and their teammates. And so here, here, here are my two questions. What do athletes owe us as fans going to, to what JJ Watt was kind of saying, but then what is owed to the player from the organization. And so those were, you know, hearing those two comments and I'll chime in on my personal feelings in a minute. I'll let you, I just talked for a few minutes. So I'll let you guys go. You know, what is the balance between it's, it, it, it is a business. It is their job, but it's also a game. It's also entertainment. It's there for our entertainment, but it's their job. And it's somebody else's multi-billion dollar business. So how does that all lump in together? Go, go ahead, Daryl. I'll take the rebuttal point. I'll take the rebuttal position. 
<laughs> I know there will be some rebutting. <laughs> I dream about some week, you know, um, coming on and 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 getting, you know, oh, Daryl, we want to apologize to you for giving you such a hard time, you know. But I'll keep dreaming. Um, It'll come someday, someday, maybe. It's you know, it's a. Uh, I, you know, Matt, I would like, you and I are teachers, and we give 100%. We give 100%. You know, we're not rich, uh, but we're surviving. And, um, you know, we give all our effort. And we do know, not that occasionally there's a teacher or two who doesn't give their all, who sort of just sort of skates through it. So I do think in general that... I don't have any problem with, actually with either of the remarks, because um, J.J. Watt, if he had teammates that, you know, he felt weren't pulling their weight um, because the season is lost for the Texans, you know, that's that's legitimate. Um, and the thing that Booker was saying was, I think, kind of right in that, you know, your priorities should be being the best professional that you can be, not whether you have 1 million followers or not. I, I think in that respect, it's not an either or thing. And this is where Booger McFarland and JJ Watt and the two of you sound like crabby old men is that there, there's no room. <laughs> well, I, I resemble that remark, Joe. <laughs> but, I mean, when, when Booger McFarland was in the league, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Facebook. And this is something that's, it's, I know he talks about building the brand, but that's essential to an athlete now because, first of all, and like, like you sort of alluded to, Daryl, the team loyalty is not there like it was. And so these guys, yeah, that's, that's they have true. to be in a position where they're going to protect their own interests first. And that's, you know, the leagues and the ownership have proved time and time again that they are going to hold their own interests at heart when it comes time to make these collective bargaining decisions and these labor decisions. So I don't fault the players for, for emphasizing that. And if it pisses off a couple of old fart broadcasters and ex players, I get it. But, and Booger McFarland. But wait a minute, but, but wasn't, wasn't the remark that the, that the certain players were not giving their all. And that's, and to me, that's legitimate complaint. Well, all right. So, so there's, you brought up the fact that, you, that you're both teachers and honestly, I think, in this in this respect, teachers rightfully should be among those held to a higher standard, along with medical professionals and law enforcement. And I, I know lots of educators, aside from the two of you, and I know lots of professional athletes. And I I would trust a teacher more than I would trust any athlete if it came down to you know one moment where I need you to come through because, like you said, Daryl, you you're you're not if you fail you're failing more than yourself you're failing those children you're failing their families you're failing your entire community somewhere along the line we got the idea that we have as fans we somehow have some kind of moral ownership over what these players do if if i watch harrison ford in a movie and i think he stinks in that movie do, do i you know, like it, the 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 reaction you get from an athlete's perceived poor performance or lack of effort is way out of proportion to what we what we say and do when we see that same lack of effort from a you know another entertainer or a teacher or a cop or a nurse 
or any of those people. So I, I, I'm, I question why, because Matt, as you said, it's all, these are all just games. These are all just games. Why do we take it so damn seriously? And I don't think as fans, we are owed an effort on the playing field. We are not owed, you know, these players doing anything when they come off that field we don't have any right to tell them what they should and should not be doing with their lives. Their, their choices in that respect are going to be borne out by how successful they are and what sort of contracts they can get and how many championships they can win. And we can judge them on with those metrics. And if, if a player decides that he's going to live a life that's true to his heart and not put out, and only put out 97% effort one week or 94% one week. That's their, that's entirely their prerogative. And again, I think the, the fact that they're, everything they do is on such public display gives us the opportunity to nitpick in this way. But I don't, I don't think as fans, we, we, we get what we're owed. We're owed the entertainment of a competitive sporting event it doesn't matter if there are players out there. It's entertaining when somebody goes out there and puts out 42%. You know, when you see Steven Jackson after he came back from his suspension, who was loafing around the court, it's, it's entertaining to see players rebel in that way. So I, I think, you know, in that way, it gives us a little more to, to it, you know, it, it gives us an, an evil to root for too, in, in some respects. You know, hell might not be freezing over, but it, maybe it's getting a little cold. Because I actually, <laughs> fair point, and, and I actually, when, when I, I sent you guys these sound bites, and, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, and, and trying not to be my grumpy old man self, <laughs> and I, I actually, you know, the word, even how, how I framed the question, what are we owed, you know, I actually, I'm not, as a fan of the Giants, they don't owe me anything, like maybe that word I was getting hung up on and, and, but I do think it's fair as a fan to have expectations of the product that I'm going to support. Um, these professional leagues are too big to fail almost, right? Because nobody's calling up any, any of us to, to ask for our advice on, on what to do with some of these players. And, and, you know, if I don't buy a Jersey, that's, a half a drop in the bucket of, of the amount of money coming in. But as fans, we should expect the, the, the product to be at some land standard, you know, uh, quality. But I guess I, I, the way I kind of look at it, and here's where I agree with Joe is that guys like Booger McFarland, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have social media to worry about when they played. So if they were driven, they, they were driven just on the field. As times change though, I kind of look at, I, I, it, maybe it's not a fair criticism of book for Booger McFarland to make, but it's fair advice because the way I see it, Johnny Manziel, you know, he's out of the league. How is his brand doing? I think if you come into this league thinking, I'm going to take care of me first, you'll be out of the league before you have an opportunity for a brand. Whereas if you, I'll, I'll let you go in a second, Joe. If you 
put in the time and, and focus on the team. How do I make me the best for my team? How do I make my teammates better? Your brand will find you. And if you look at like JJ Watt, you know, he, he's got Subway, you know, guys like Rob Gronkowski never cashed a game check because he lived off his endorsements. He lived off his brand. And so I think if you produce on the field and if you have a prolonged career, unfortunately, you know, he was talking about Dwayne Haskins. You're out of the league now. So if you came into it worried about my brand, my brand, my brand, looking after me first, that's not going to get you anywhere because now your brand is gone. You don't have an opportunity for anything. I don't think any of these players are putting me first. There's not a player that goes out there and says my, my Twitter following is more important than my success on the field because they know they're, they're compensated based on their success on the field. So I think it's, it's not that it's a me first. It's that me is included in there at all. Booger McFarland wasn't saying that these guys are focusing completely on, on the social media stuff. He was saying, they're focusing on it. They're paying attention to it. And I think the, the JJ Watt thing, he, he was, he, you could see this cause he, he wasn't even asked. That wasn't even the question he was asked. He was asked, how does your team bounce back from a devastating loss? And he, you can see this happen sometimes in athlete press conferences where they have a, a they have a, a thought, they have something in their heads they want to get out and they're going to get it out no matter what the question is they're asked. And that's exactly what happened there. And he obviously was mad at a couple of the guys in his locker room. And like you mentioned before, Daryl, he's not going to call them out by name because it's not, that's not what you do. Like there's these unwritten rules of the locker room and that's one of them that you don't call players out by name, but that's what he wanted to do. So I think that's the, I, I put his rant and boogers in a separate, in separate containers here, because I think, they're they're coming from different places and i sort of understand jj watt's frustration who you there's you cannot criticize this guy for you know he's almost a lebron like figure in the mm-hmm. nfl where yeah, his effort he, his effort is is intense and great teammate it seems to be a you know a, 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 his, everything in his personal life seems in harmony he he he's a a model in that community he does a lot of good work for houston People like him because he's genuine. And I think this was a moment of little kind of forced genuineness where he just, he had this complaint to get out and he got it out. But I think, you know, just like all these players have choices, we have choices as fans. And if a team's decisions disappoint you, or if a player's decisions disappoint you, you can, we're we're stuck to this notion that we have to maintain these allegiances for life. And I know that's a, you know, that loyalty is sort of a. That's the way traditionally it's been, but you guys bring up some good points, which is that players don't stay with a team for 18 years anymore. Um, and then when they do like Brady, they, they don't have such a, a, a nice leaving. Um, the, and another regard, uh, the Bruins just made a mistake with Zdeno Chara, and they lost him. Um, but the, um, you know, one other thing I want to do, I want to give a little shout out to high school football or high school sports, excuse me, because one of the things they do, Joe, is that part of what you're doing, they're also urging you to do some community service. So I think that is an important thing that 
happens. And, uh, you know, I, I like that. Well, I think, and we see that in, in the pro leagues too. Like there's just about every NBA player has a foundation and all these NFL players do tremendous amounts of charity work. So I think we, there's a lot of things that, that kind of go unseen and that, contribute to my my fandom when i read about a player that does things like that cj mccollum and damian lillard have done so much for the city of portland just with their their foundations mccollum has a a youth center like a serious a, a group of youth centers in the cities that have just rescued young disadvantaged kids and so you know we we have all these things we can latch onto as fans but you know, I, I grew up rooting for the Knicks. We used to ride the train in when I was in middle school and, and go see games at Madison Square Garden. But they have, over the last 20 years, made every bad decision and have the worst owner in sports to the point where I am I have emotionally detached myself from that team. And I got to tell you guys, it feels great to not care about how that <laughs> how that guy is screwing up that team anymore. It really, really does. Yeah. Well, newsflash, the Knicks are off to a good start. But, they actually, but anyway. I just, you know, to get back to it, I, I just, I think, and it's all fair. As a fan, I root for a team over individuals. And, um, you know, I, I, I was, when, when the Giants first traded Odell Beckham, I was like, oh, I, I didn't like it. I, I liked Odell Beckham. I liked his, the personality that he brought to the field. It was entertaining to watch and, and to root And for his him. skill. But, you know, I, I do think at some times, and, and it's probably, I, I understand it. It, 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 it is their job. And, you know, whether they, I was complaining about Kyrie Irvin not doing his um, press conference, you know, a few weeks ago. And I know yeah, I sound like the grumpy old man. I, I get that. But, you know, it, it's, it's contractual obligations and, and, it is their job. Their job is to play a game for the entertainment of other people. Um, and, you know, it, it becomes their choice if they want to keep that as a job, as a career. They could go take a different path. But go ahead, okay. Joe. You're doing a dance. Go ahead. I, I, this, this is where I, this is. He's uh, burning sage. That's <laughs> what he's doing. <laughs> where I think we're, we're detached is that I, I, the, the fans, I don't, I, the, the, there's no obligation to the, any any professional athlete who tells you, and J.J. Watt said this in his press conferences, any professional athlete who tells you that they're playing for the fans is lying. They are lying. They are playing for the competitiveness of it. They're playing for the money. They're playing for glory. They're playing because they get to be adults playing a game for a living no one they say they're doing it for the fans because it's great pr and it's great for their brand but none of them zero zero professional athletes right, ever right. have played for the fans some of them appreciate the fans some of them acknowledge the fans but i mean you want to see but joe let me let me turn that around a second and ask you a question so matt and i we follow teams are you like that also or do you you know, in other words, were you kind of born programmed into liking certain teams, and do you still like them? So I inherited the love of the Yankees from my dad, who was a Yankees fan, and took us to games. Took us to games in the old Yankee Stadium when we were really young. So that's you know, I have a a genuine you know affection for that team. But they've also 
rewarded that affection with good decisions and successful teams. Um, football, I started out as a Jet fan, and then again, the Colossus. <laughs> I know, I know. And then in, in the seventies oh, and eighties, oh, that must hurt. You don't have to admit that. You can, you know, I'm in recovery. You could just say that I. I started out rooting for this minor football team. I'm in recovery for that currently. But the, um, and then in the 70s and 80s, when everyone sort of gravitated towards the Cowboys or the Steelers, I was a really big Tom Landry fan. So I rooted for the Cowboys for a bunch of years. And then kind of as I moved around the country, I would adopt the team in my home area. But now I'm back to being a Jet fan somehow. I don't know, just by default or being in a sort of a NFL orphan area. Hockey, I've always rooted for the Rangers. The Knicks, I gave them many, 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 many chances. And, you know, again, part of that was circumstance being out here. Rooting for the Blazers is an entirely different experience. They are moving forward. They made a couple really good moves this year. They can actually play defense. I've watched every game, all four of their games so far the season. They're, they're a delight to watch. They beat the Lakers. There's some promise, some encouragement. So to answer your question, Daryl, I'm somewhere – in between where not to call you both old, but you're both old where older fans are, where, where your affinity is for a team, your allegiance is to a team where if you're a 15 or 17 year old kid, now you root for Kevin Durant or you root for, well, let, let me, let me ask Matt. So Matt, do you think your two boys when they grow up will have this love of, of say, let's just take the giants and the Yankees. I don't know. I mean, right now, my oldest will root for any team that I'm not. <laughs> I'm not even telling you. Man, <laughs> did he figure out how dumb you were at he, a really early age? Wow. This is an advanced kid. If, if a, any sport is on, you know, and, and they'll watch it with me. They like, they like to watch sports. They ask a lot of good questions. They're interested in it. Tyler's first question is, all right, Dad, who do you want? I want the other team. Uh, Jake... <laughs> He is very competitive, so he doesn't want any team until the game is over, and then he wanted who won. Oh. <laughs> so that's what I'm dealing Which, with right now. Right, and so I, I think that, that the, your second uh, example there is more like young, many young fans, whereas, you know, I grew up Boston across the board. And I've never really changed from that. I've, I mean, I've added, I've added Duke and, and University of Florida, but because um, of because I went there. Um, but I, that that's it. I stick with them, and I do think that that's changing. That the modern fan is is different, just like the modern player is different. I think the the, the difference will be in the Daryl. You mentioned your two college connections. That'll be the difference. Like I will always root for yeah. UMass and the University of Texas because I spent so many hours on those campuses and especially, you know, having my involvement covering sports at both those places, it sort of gives you a little, little deeper connection, um, but can I, can I bring up something too, that this, this conversation made me think of that Joe, you'll really appreciate. So, and Matt, this might be slightly before your time, but um, there was this famous news conference in uh, the Mullen center right <laughs> after it opened this 
tremendous coach for Temple Cheney. I love this guy beyond all belief. And I, at the time, I thought Calipari was a little prima donna with his shoes clicking up and down the sidelines. <laughs> so I definitely took Cheney's side of that, even though I'm a UMass fan. But it was a, you know, it was like what you're talking about with J.J. Watt. Which he wasn't asked that question. And he exploded, and that was quite an explosive time. Can I can I try to jam in a story really quickly about that press conference? So I don't know if yeah, you got a few minutes. Go ahead. If anyone knows about this, so apparently uh, John Cheney saw um, John Calipari talking to one of the officials after a really close game in the in the hallway, and he was suspicious of what that conversation was, and that's why he stormed into that press conference and made that big scene. And this was, this was almost a fist fight between two division one coaches in a press conference. And two famous coaches. Yeah. And yeah. in uh, maybe 10, eight or 10 years ago, I interviewed uh, Dr. James Ralph, who was the UMass team physician for 30 years. And he told me that the official was asking Calipari for a recommendation for an Italian restaurant, that that was the extent <laughs> of the conversation that set off. And if you've never seen this people yeah. Google, it's on YouTube, Google the YouTube clip. And this there's, I, I had a bunch of conversations with, uh, with Dr. Ralph, with Matt Vitor, who's a longtime UMass sports writer who we could probably actually talk to Matt about coming on. He's moved on from the Gazette, but yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's, he's at uh, mass he, live. He's, he does yeah, a yeah. great job. And, um, and actually talked to Bob Ryan about this too. And when I interviewed him in, in that same sort of sequence, and they all had really interesting stories about that. I'll see if I can put some of these audio clips together and maybe throw them on the end of the, um, end of the podcast. Yeah. version. So, all right. So what else should we mention in sports? Um, you know, uh, college football looks like it's going to pull off of finals. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I, yeah. By the way, by, by, let me call you out again, Matt. Um, does Ohio State belong in the playoff fair, now? Fair. fair. <laughs> so, okay. In a related question, who's the number one pick, Tyler Lawrence or Justin Fields? Trevor Lawrence will still be, in, in my opinion, uh, the number one pick. Um, Justin Fields, though, he did help himself last night. He, he was, his stock was uh, sinking a little bit. Um, and he played a heck of a game. So, you know, I, I, as of now, I still think Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick, but uh, we'll have to see combine and, and you know, all the, the pre-draft. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's so the Jaguars too, so I wouldn't be surprised if they picked Justin Fields. Um, s separate question, who's a better pro? Who turns out to be a better pro, Fields or ooh. Lawrence? You know, they, that's a great I, – I, I don't know. I'm always skeptical um, as to these – can't miss prospects in my lifetime. I feel like Peyton Manning and um, uh, Andrew Luck were the only two can't miss prospects. Obviously, Peyton Manning panned out. He won two Super Bowls. Andrew Luck retired early, um, but does he have one playoff win? So I mean, I'm what, always. What Luck had a great career. I mean, I think you can. Yeah, you, you he did, and he was just dogged by injuries. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is, is, I guess, you know, out of these two prospects that were can't miss, they both were right. But I think so often, right. you know, uh, NFL teams miss on these quarterbacks. There weren't no Jamarcus Russells, no Ryan Leafs. We haven't had that in a while, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and so 
And I do think the NFL is trending more towards college style with that super athletic quarterback. I mean, let, let's be honest. If Tom Brady or if Peyton Manning or Eli Manning, for that matter, if they were, you know, in today's draft, I don't even know if they would be a prospect because that type of NFL, you need a mobile quarterback. You want to do those RPOs. You want those um, read option plays in your playbook. Well, you got to remember about all this stuff comes in cycles too. Yeah. So I think what we're, what we're probably about to see now is somebody else, another offense being redesigned around that sort of Dan Marino type stand in the pocket, throw the ball 70 all yards right. down the field. The last 30 seconds, um, Alabama or Ohio State, Joe? Yeah, Alabama by two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah I, I same, think it's a, same for you, Matt. Uh, Alabama, they're, 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 they're a phenomenon. They're they're a super team always. And, I, you know, I was watching their receivers. Oh, my God, why can't the Patriots get a receiver like that? Number six and number nine, they were, like, spectacular. Yeah, Alabama, they, this one kid may go second or third, which, you know, is almost unheard of for a receiver because you can get a really good receiver in the middle of the first round. Yeah, Alabama looks – I think they're going to kind of run away with it. I, I'm with you. I, I think it, it could even be more than two touchdowns. Um, they're just so good. But I'll, I'll eat a little crow. Ohio State is – you know, yeah, they should be there, I guess. Did you I guys mean, see um, – I read the headline this morning. LeBron James was uh, throwing some shade at Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> and uh, I think basically – it was, it was, I'm, I'll get the Twitter quote wrong, but basically it was like, Hey, so uh, if Ohio state should be number 11, what does that make you guys now? Or something like that. You know, I, I was, uh, I felt sorry that we didn't mention um, LeBron James because my appreciation of him just goes up and up and up and up. I, you know, he's just, he's a, he's a wonderful professional athlete. I, I gotta. I, I think I gotta backtrack a little bit on James Harden too. I, you know, I. There's been lots of sort of really compelling trade rumors, and Daryl, your your team and my team are kind of high up on the list. And I, at this point, uh, the Celtics aren't going to give up um, Tatum or or Brown for him. Why? Why wouldn't you? He's the third best player no. in the league. Oh. Led, led the league in scoring three years in a row. They, you, I don't. I, I'd be right now. The 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 Blazers rumor includes C.J. McCollum, one other rotation player, and a draft pick. I'd do that in a second. Yes, that would be okay. Lillard and Harden but, would be maybe the best backcourt in NBA history. I mean, can you think of any other time? But really you know, honestly, I mean, if you watch basketball, watching Harden is painful. Dribble, dribble, no, dribble, no, dribble, dribble. No, he's tremendous. He's, he's tremendous. He, the but guy, it's painful. He's the best passer out of double teams, maybe other than LeBron James at this point. He, he you, I believe me, I, 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 I'm have been critical as critical of Harden as anyone, but I've watched a lot of their games in the last couple of weeks. I would take that guy on my team in a second. You can fit him into anything. He's you don't. That's a this is a generational talent that I don't think. I, I think here's I, I think, he's thirty one years old though too. Here's what yeah. I'll say. Would you guys agree that in the NBA, maybe aside from a in the NHL, a goalie, right? A, a one hot goalie can can lead a team to to a championship. 
Don't you feel like in the NBA, one player can make the difference on, yes. on a court, right? Right. And when you have a chance to trade three, you know, trade a 75 cent piece and a quarter and a nickel for a dollar, you do it. And, you know, the, the, the team that wins every NBA trade is the team that gets the best player. That is the, that is the way it works. I, I agree with, but don't you think because the NBA, one player can't, if, you, if, if one player can carry their team to a championship, Kawhi Leonard, why hasn't Harden been able to do that at Houston? He's been on decent, good teams. I, I, I just, I, so I'll go back to Kobe Bryant said it, and he was um, criticized for it. He just said that dude will never win a championship. His style of play, don't take away his talent. He's very good, but his style of play does not translate to an NBA championship winning a best of seven series. I, I just agree. So, there's there's great players and great teams that never win championships you know it, it's a exceedingly difficult thing to do even if you are you know you look at the team the clippers put together last year mm-hmm. and no one says Kawhi leonard's not a champion because he didn't win last year he just had the right circumstances in toronto and i think harden has never had a team like lebron has had or like kobe bryant had so i think well Houston well, tried they kept getting superstars I, I, he hasn't, but I think that's because of his style of play. What, what I'm saying is he is a, a top five talent in the NBA, but um, I, I think – and he has improved his defense. He has improved his defense. I would trade away everything to get a Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if I would do it for Harden because he's not he, – he hasn't done it yet, and he's been on good teams – he hasn't even been in a, in a, in the finals. So I so, don't know. So wh- who do you hold in higher regard, Harden or Giannis? I'd rather have Giannis. 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 Well, all right. So you'd rather have Giannis because he's younger and he's got a little bit more of a, a because he's game. because of his size too. Well, why isn't and, it, and the fact that he he's gotten better every single with. year? Why isn't anybody criticizing him for their colossal failure in the playoffs last year? Why don't why aren't we talking about James Harden who's made it to a conference final before? Why are we talking about him and not Antetokounmpo? Like but that's would you say? And and, and I, I admit that my NBA knowledge is is not. I don't follow the NBA as I do the other sports, but wouldn't, I kind of feel like if you compare rosters, the Houston Rockets roster is exponentially, exponentially better than what the Bucks have. Mm, and maybe. then my, my other, my other point, and then I'll, I, I concede to you. My, my other point is when he did make it to a game seven in the conference finals, what do he go? One for 30. And so yeah. I, the criticism is fair. He had, he has had opportunities and he's come up short. Um, Giannis has two, two years, you know, it's only been two years for Giannis. Um, and I don't think the Bucks roster is, is that good at all. It's getting better. It's good this year. So they're, they're better. that's it. The, the Bucks roster is definitely better than Houston's this year. And yes. I would say, I would say they were close last year. Houston, you know, and the, again, with the losses they had in last offseason, it, it's, you know, Milwaukee's hands hands down the better team. 
I, I, we do this hypercritical. We did it about LeBron James in the beginning of his career too. That always, how great could he be? He's never won a title. I, and until, so my question is if, if Harden gets traded to Golden State or Portland or the Nets and they win the title this year, is does is all that forgiven? Is he now a great player? Is he is he equal? Is he uh, where do you put him? How do you slot him and Kawhi Leonard if Harden wins a title this year? You you have to. I mean that yes, you give that him a bump. I mean I I think he's top five talent already, but his style of play hasn't yielded any real playoff success. I mean, you could, so, you could say, well, no, it hasn't yielded a championship. It has yielded playoff success, and he's been their best player in the playoffs before. I think we're, I think we're again, we, we have this thing where we, and we did, did it to Dan Marino too, where he somehow, it, Marino was hands down the best quarterback of his era, but Joe Montana is given that, that crown because he won all those Super Bowls and Marino didn't win any. That's not Dan Marino's fault. He was on some crappy teams and took some some average teams to the playoffs and to the AFC championships. So I think we don't see how Harden has elevated the Rockets. All we see is that is their quote failure of never winning a championship with them. But there are 29 other teams, you know, 29 teams don't win the title every year. So I think, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's been in the league for, I think this is 10th year, 11th year, 10th year. You know he's been established in the league for for a while. Where if he was the again again we this is where we um, hurt ourselves comparing everyone to LeBron James. This is a rare, you know, not just generational talent like once in a sport history talent that can elevate his teammates like he can. And so I think in some respect we're a little bit spoiled when we see guys like. Kevin Durant and James Harden, you know, who, who don't quite elevate their teammates like LeBron does or, or Steph Curry or, you know, a handful of other players. I don't know if, if even Kawhi, you know, he, Kawhi makes his teammates better, but I don't see him on that level of, of, of LeBron. I agree. I mean, interesting. If yeah. Right now, I, I, I think James Harden is a top five talent in, in this NBA, NBA, you know, all, all the players included. When his career is over, if he doesn't win anything, he's going to be like a Charles Barkley. You know, you're Hall of Famer. You didn't win a title. And, and but unfortunately, that is, it might like that is how you measure success. Tom Brady is, is considered the best because he's got all those Super Bowls. If he didn't win Super Bowls, he wouldn't. Be, I mean, it's unfair. Right, because Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers is not. We're we're, we're taking team sports, and we're comparing individuals in team sports. I totally get what you're saying, Joe, and and I and, and I agree. I mean, you know, I mean, there are. It is a team sport, um, and that's kind of why I was saying of all the team sports, the NBA, aside from a hockey goalie, the NBA can kind of be manipulated, so to speak, by one individual more than any other sport you still need to have a team around you. true you still need but to you know what's neat about guys around you, you know, yeah but you know what's neat about basketball is that you can with five princeton players you know be a real 
amazing team. So it is, you know, so yes, one star can make a difference, but three or four really good players together can, it, it's, it's pretty nice. Whereas in baseball, you really need a bunch of really good players and the same in football, really, you know, like Brady doesn't win the Super Bowl by himself. Well, and what Harden needs with his skill set and with what he can do, he what he needs are a couple of big wing spot up three point shooters and a and some kind of low post or baseline scores. Those are the parts of the court that are open when James Harden has the ball and is doing his James Harden thing. And so I think there are there are a couple teams that fit really well with that, and Portland's one of them. You know, they've got Covington and Derek Jones Jr. They've got uh, Lillard and Nurkic. They, that seems to fit pretty well. I don't quite see that good of a fit in Boston because they seem to have a little too much overlapping skill sets, a lot of that sort of drive and kick, and there's, they've already got three guys who can do that. So I think there, there are teams that are going to be better and worse fits, and I, I, again, I think that's where we give a little too much. And, it, and the, the championship thing, too, is something that we – the players that don't win championships, we regard them as greater players once the year, once there are some years between their last competitive minutes and, and there are reactions. Like I think people now look back at Marino and Barkley and recognize them as, you know, I don't want to overuse the term, but generational talents, like absolutely in the top handful of players for their era where, the that that hammer of they never won a title they never won a title was all we heard when they were you know towards the end of their career and recently retired so you know i i i think harden may be headed for that same you know he he could end up being one of the greatest players to never win an nba title but i don't that doesn't diminish i i think that's as much of the fault of daryl morey and you know and the the front office in Oklahoma city when he was there, as it is, um, you know, J- J- James Harden. Cause. And so now Maury's moved on to Philly. Who's, who's actually Phil- Philly's four and one. So they're a little bit. Right. And will Philly try to get him? Yeah. You know? I, I, we talked about this a little bit last week. I think a Simmons for Harden trade helps both teams. I think it benefits both teams. So it's, yeah, it's going to be an interesting NBA season. <laughs> it is. Matt, you got to watch the NBA. It's a lot of fun, man. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> well, all right, fellas. I got to get going. All right. Every, thanks for listening, everybody. Who, who's winning the Super Bowl? Ooh, you know what? Ooh. Not Brady, right? Not Tampa Bay. No, I don't, I don't think Tampa Bay. I think you guys nailed it last week with Green Bay and whoever else you, you said there. Well, everybody um, likes Seattle. I mean, I think the Saints are are probably the the hotter team, and uh, you know, uh, not Seattle. Sorry, Kansas City. And everybody, you know, Kansas City has that kind of team that can, Kansas City will be there. But they but they could have a a flame out. You know, they could easily uh, have that one bad game, and that's all it takes in the playoffs. So I I you know I, I expect to see them in the Super Bowl, but maybe a little vulnerable. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Saints and Saints over Kansas City in the Super Bowl. That'll be my opinion. Wow. I'm going to okay. say, this is what I can say with real confidence. This might be a little bit of a cop-out to answer your question, Daryl. The Chiefs win the AFC, and I think the NFC championship is going to be Green Bay and the Saints. I think if Green... I, I don't know who wins that one, Green Bay or New Orleans. But 
I think if Green Bay wins, they will have a better shot beating the Chiefs. Well, I think the Giants are going to win no, it all. Don't even. <laughs> don't even. See, see you guys next week. Have a good week. Guys.